Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. I asked you in the last show, the first brand that you remember making an impact on you as a child, and you talked about the Jordan brand and the Nike brand at large. So I'd like to ask you today, what other brand do you remember making an early impact on you? Another brand that had real impact on me growing up was Coca-Cola. And I, to this day, 40, 30 years later, still remember so much, today we would call content that they put out in the world. And for that to stand the test of three, four decades is pretty special. And so I give them the nod because they clearly created something that, that stuck in my mind and evoke feelings that I still remember. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Vineet Mara, the Chief Marketing Officer of Chime, the 12-year-old fintech company founded by Chris Britt and Ryan King as an alternative to traditional banking. Interesting marketing trivia. Many believe the official launch of this company was in April 2014 when Chime was featured on the Dr. Phil Show. Chime is a private company with a huge mission to really help ordinary people make financial progress. It has raised more than $2 billion in funding from a who's who in venture capital. Revenue is estimated to be about a billion dollars, and they have north of 20 million customers. Valuation has reached as high as $25 billion, but is now estimated to be a bit lower than that. My guest, Vineet, was last on the CMO podcast in May 2020, when he was the chief marketing officer and chief customer officer at Walgreens Boots Alliance. Vineet, like me, began his career at P&G. He started in Singapore. I began my career in Cincinnati. Following nine years at P&G, Vineet worked at General Mills, Novartis, Johnson & Johnson, and Ancestry. Last time we talked, Vineet had dreams of starting a pizzeria. We'll check into that and a whole lot more, including Super Bowl predictions. Here's Vineet. So, Vineet, welcome back to the CMO Podcast. We are recording and releasing this episode just before the Super Bowl. So, if you don't mind, let's do a few predictions. Sure. All right. The 49ers or the Chiefs? Got to go 49ers. Okay. MVP prediction. Most valuable player prediction. You know, they say Purdy's early year stats are looking like Tom Brady, so I'm going Purdy. All right. Will you have one of the 100 seats on the Coors Silver Bullet train? I don't think I will. <laughs> Not this time around. <laughs> All right. I wish I was, though. This is the toughest question. Which ads this year, and you know, a number of the companies have released teasers and that sort of thing, which ads do, will be the fan favorites of Super Bowl 2024? 
You know what? I don't know if it'll be the favorite, but I'm looking to see Bud's comeback here. Yeah. I'm curious about how they'll show up. And I think a lot of marketing case study and, and how they play it this year. Will Taylor Swift join Usher at halftime? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, I was looking forward to Usher. I'm going there in person. You know what? I'm going to say yes on that. I mean, you know, I, I'm going with yes on that for Hopeful. sure. Hopeful. Okay. So you're going to the game personally. Is it a business trip for you or just a fun trip? You know, it's actually a, a family trip. Oh. I'm taking my wife and my 11-year-old son, and we thought be, it would be a pretty cool experience to, to do that together. So you don't do this every year, right? This is a special year? Yeah. You know, I've done it for business a couple of years, but never brought the family. So this year, I really wanted to make it a uh, family experience, you know, things that we'll remember later on. So in the Super Bowls you've gone to in the past, what have you liked most about being there live? It's electric in there. I think there's so few brands and experiences that create that much electricity and attachment. When you feel that energy in person, it's pretty special. And, you know, I just love being in the middle of that. It's it's pretty amazing. Well, you have to tune in the week after the Super Bowl. This is kind of a plug. Gary V and I are doing a special episode and we're talking to a whole bunch of CMOs who have ads on the game. Nice. Nice. So we're going to just debrief everything that happened in the game, you know, both the ads and other stuff. You never know what's going to happen from a marketing perspective as that game starts, right? That's right. Gary and you together, that's going to be quite the show. I'll definitely watch it. Well, I said welcome back to you, Vineet, up front. And you were on this show last about four years ago. That's a long time. And you at that time were the CMO and Chief Customer Officer at Walgreens Boots Alliance. And it was in the first two months of the pandemic. So you had a lot on your plate back then. There were a lot of things about that role as Walgreens CMO that were kind of weighing heavy. So I want to ask you today before we start, are you feeling a bit more relaxed in this conversation than you were four years ago as the CMO of Walgreens in the first two months of the pandemic? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I think we can all go back and remember that that was the very scariest time of the pandemic. And I remember I was still going to the office every day. You know, it was really hard to be sending your frontline workers into into battle and as a as an executive, not at least doing your part. So we made it a call to like go to the office most days, you know, really tried to build all the digital experiences and supply chains to to vaccinate America. We were a big part of Operation Warp Speed. We had army generals come into our office. It was pretty intense. So let's just say it's definitely more relaxing right now than it was at that time. That's for sure. I re-listened to that episode before this one. And uh, yeah, it was there was something in the air. I mean, we were all scared. We were yeah. excited. We were we felt a, you especially felt a deep sense of purpose. Your your company played an enormous role in getting America vaccinated and taken care of when people got sick. So so, yeah, this is going to be a bit more, bit more relaxed than four years ago. Let's do it. Well, now we're uh, we're in the middle of trying to give people better financial progress in America, which is equally interesting. But uh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that. Hey, but before we leave, uh, we started this show with predictions. And when we talked four years ago, you did make a prediction, actually. And you made a prediction that one of the lasting changes coming out of the pandemic would be that companies would become much more agile and fast in their decision making and their activations. So we're four years later here. Do you feel like that prediction at large has come true? I mean, I think, you know, it, it mostly has. I mean, if you think about the tectonic shifts that are happening in our marketing industry around artificial intelligence, privacy, 
LLMs and language models, I'd say some of those things are moving at a speed. I haven't seen a lot of things move in our industry. And so I think we're definitely all more open to adapting and accepting change than we've ever have been before. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's going to usher in a a pretty amazing new golden age of marketing here as we uh, embrace and accept that these things are going to happen. Well, in addition to predicting the future back then, you were also doing a lot of cooking, a lot of mixology, a lot of reading, and listening to Swedish hip-hop. So have any <laughs> have any of those hobbies stood the test of time four years later? Thankfully, the mixology is less than it was during the pandemic. Yeah. That was definitely going on. But the pizza making continues. Invested in some new hardware and continues to be a passion. I, my goal remains as it was four years ago. One day I'm going to open a pizzeria on a beach somewhere and chill that way. So that one remains and I continue to work against that goal. Beautiful, beautiful. So are you any closer to that dream today? Do you have any plans for the design of it or the business plan or the marketing plan? You know, I've, I've, I'm dreaming up things. I'm not sure I've written out a business plan yet, but the dream keeps growing. And uh, one of these days I'll get around to uh, actually putting it on paper and, and going for it. But, you know, raising a young family, trying to do some stuff at work, and hopefully that stage will come. Yeah. Well, one thing that seems to have changed for you from my research since we talked last, there's been an explosion on your part of industry involvement. Yeah. And let me just tick through some of that for our listeners. You're on the Advertising Council for Spotify and WPP. You're in the board of the Mobile Marketing Association. You're an advisor to two marketing tech firms, Notch and Pixis. And you're on the board of directors for Adtherian. So these are a lot of companies sort of on the cutting edge of how marketing is evolving. So you have, Vanit, a really broad purview of this industry. So I'd just like you to reflect a little bit what you're learning in all those engagements, all those organizations. How's that shaping how you approach your role today as CMO at Chime? You know, we all have limited hours. The reason I choose to spend some of my time that way is because I'm just super passionate and curious about our industry and and where it's headed. I think for too long, the narrative was being taken from us as marketers and CMOs. I mean, even this week, the demise of the CMO, the end of the role, you know, all this stuff is happening. Right. The Fortune Magazine article this week. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just constant stream of these things. And the reason I try to stay close to what's happening is to play a role in trying to shape the narrative that I, as the way I think it should be. But I think to shape it, you have to first start with curiosity, accepting there's things you don't know, accepting that things are changing, and trying as much as possible to be on the cutting edge of the technologies. You know, I'm, like you said, I'm on the public board of a very privacy forward programmatic ad company. I advise a very cutting edge AI company. And I do this so that I don't keep my head in the mud and I really understand where the world's going. And so I would say it influences everything I do, every decision I make, how I hire talent, how I organize my teams, how I design organizations. It's in everything that I do, to be totally honest. What have you learned from all of these people and all these companies that you wish every rising CMO would know about and act on? That, and I said this a little earlier, but the thing that I learned is that I think we are entering a new golden age of marketing. And, you know, people will hearken back to the days when advertising was like glory. You'd go to your agency's office and there were the best buildings in town. 
fancy retreats and things like that. And I would argue that if we truly embrace the technology and tools that's in front of us and we don't allow ourselves to get divided amongst brand marketers or direct response people or mm -hmm. technologists, if we can truly bring all of that together, I am very optimistic about our industry. I think our function has never had more influence if we play it the right way. And, you know, when my son asked me what he wants, what he should be when he grows up, CMOs in that list for me, you yeah. know, and uh, I've learned to be very optimistic about where, where our industry is headed, but we have to be very thoughtful and intentional about how we're building the narrative and building our own skills along that way. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. You talked about how we sometimes fragment with brand marketers, performance marketers, so on and so forth. I wrote a story in HBR last spring with a couple of co-authors about brand and performance marketing and why there's this tension between the two and what we need to do to sort of get through that. You seem to have some insight on that, Vineet. So what what's your learning on building a function and a capability and a discipline to bring everything together? Because I certainly think integrating capabilities and integrating work is a big theme of the modern CMO because the customer, the consumer only sees, you know, one brand, hopefully. And if we're not all working together on that, that's not going to show up that way in the marketplace. So how have you brought things together, either in Chime or in the, the other roles you've had? I, I think it starts with just the, even the nomenclature we use, right? To say one thing is brand marketing and one thing is performance marketing, I think already does the brand side a disservice because that's also performance just at a doing a different job. And I think the other thing that does this a disservice is is CMOs or leaders that are not actively building their knowledge base in all of the things that are required in marketing. It's very hard, I think, as marketing becomes more and more of a specialist function to lead and organize a team if you aren't, I will say, you got to be dangerous enough in all the specialties of marketing, whether that be marketing technology, geeking out on direct response and customer acquisition costs and non-branded search versus branded search. And then equally, you got to understand how to build brands that are culturally relevant. So the first step is like looking at ourselves as industry leaders and making sure we're equipping ourselves that we have the appropriate curiosity and knowledge to lead what are today very technical and specialist functions that need to come together. I think the second thing is reframing the role of the CMO a little bit. Our number one job is growth. And, you know, you ask anyone who works with me even here at this current company, and I'm, I'm asking for less budget, not more. I actually would rather spend less money 
and our growth come from things like referrals and product-led drivers rather than advertising, because I think that's the most authentic way to grow. So I think reframing the role, I mean, you can call it growth officer, you can call it CMO, you can call it revenue officer, you can call it experience, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, I don't think the job has changed for 50 years. It's always been about growth and we got to keep the main thing, the main thing here and not lose sight in all this craziness that ultimately going to be evaluated on, do we grow market share and do we get consumers in our target audiences to love our brands? And I think the third thing that I sort of bring to it is that the key is understanding the role of everything, right? Like there's a weird contradiction in the world right now, which is like performance marketing lets you efficiently sort of target and convert potential customers without like all these costs of TV and all that. And that's why a lot of companies will start there. But it's also true that very few performance marketing led companies have actually grown into large profitable brands. This this is also true. And in fact, if you look at eight of the top 10 companies by market cap, they actually built everything through brand before the internet was created and all of this stuff happened, even, even to this day. And so there's something that I think big brands understand that I think a lot of people don't, which is that most customers are future customers. And we can't lose sight of that. You know, I was trained under you at PNG. That you never get rid of. It's just now we have extra tools that as we build those future customers with a certain percentage of our dollars, we can actually now sweep up all that intent and bring them into our products in a much more efficient way than adding more dollars to the top of the funnel. And it's when you figure out how to get this future customer sort of immediate prospect and sort of existing customer balance the right way, that's sort of kind of the modern sort of media funnel that we got to figure out. And the trick is in getting all of that to add up to a blended customer acquisition cost that gets to pay back your business needs. Um, and every business is a little bit different in the requirements there. And so I think that's sort of the core thing that people have to understand. It's not this or that. It's also could be sequenced. You may start with performance, then need to move up the funnel because a lot of times companies with strong mark product market fit can use direct response because there's already pent up demand there, right? You just sweep that up then they forget at some point that they have to keep building the customers for the future that come in later, right? So it's a little like complicated, but it's actually not that much if you think about it. And uh, this is why it's not, it shouldn't be a divide. It should be all these pieces working together the way they should. Yeah, I totally agree. And brand marketers build performance, you should say, and performance marketers build brands. And if they both have that mindset and they're doing those jobs, then you do build one very strong brand. Right. And, and think of this like ZERP environment we're coming out of right now, right? The number of DTC brands, I mean, I think if you look at the average index of DTC brands on the stock market, it's probably down 80, 90%. Yep. The reason is simple, right? In the ZERP environment, you could raise money and keep spending on direct response nonstop. Yep. But each incremental customer gets more expensive if you're not filling the top of that funnel with intent that you could sweep up at a lower cost. So essentially what happens is over time, if you're not building the top, 
what happened to a lot of these direct-to-consumer companies is they were only sweeping intent, but it's like shooting fish in a barrel at some point. The intent gets smaller, the CAC and the CPMs go up because you now all of you are bidding on a smaller group of customers. Yep. Facebook and Google are not dumb, right? This is the pricing model. And so you got to keep filling that barrel so that, you know, the the supply demand of those customers you're bidding on works. And I don't know why we don't talk about it like this. Instead, we talk about it as we use words like brand versus performance. And, yeah. you know, I, East Coast, West Coast, I don't understand it. And so that's where we got to go. Maybe this podcast will help people reframe that a bit. <laughs> so anyway, that's our purpose. Hey, uh, before we get into your role in Chime, you are a very unusual CMO in that you serve on two public boards. And, you know, less than 3% of board members have a marketing background. And in a recent PwC study, only 13% of board directors see marketing expertise as very important for board members. So you're obviously bucking these two trends, right? And I, I just was part of a study that Chris Burgrave, former CMO of AB InBev, did about why more CMOs aren't on boards. And his whole point was most of the market cap of the S&P 500 is intangible value. And actually, marketers know how to build intangible value, which is kind of what we were just talking about. I'd like you to talk about what could others learn from your journey from, you know, you're an operational CMO and you've been a CMO at some amazing firms. What could they learn from your journey to actually get seats on two boards and, and interesting companies, right? Adtherian and Lovesack, two very different business models. So what could others learn from your journey? What's interesting also is on Lovesack, I'm actually on the audit committee. Imagine that. Oh, I love that. The job is growth. It's not tangible. It's not untangible. It's not advertising. It's growth. And I think in the C-suite, if you speak the language of growth, the other day, our CFO will tell you, I was having a long debate with him about why we have so much cash on our balance sheet. I was like, why? why? Like we should... Is that going to change our multiple? Like what's happening? And the more you can talk about growth with a capital G, meaning that could be market cap growth, that could be customer growth, that could be brand growth. The more you can talk about that and the language of business, I think the more credible you become. And so I would say I try my best to present as a business leader and a growth leader mm -hmm. and who doesn't need growth leaders on a board, right? And I think that is the key. And it kind of goes back to how are we narrating our own industry as marketers? And, you know, the irony is marketing probably needs a marketing campaign and it's ourselves who are not narrating this right way. And so my advice to everyone would be focus on growth, learn how company value is created, and you're going to have a lot of demand for your services. Do you enjoy the work of, of a board member? I don't want you to get into specifics of either board, but the basic work itself, do you enjoy it? I really do. I'm leaning more and more of my life into this, what I call a portfolio career. And I really enjoy it because I like the role of advisor. You know, one of our board members called me today, he's CEO of one of our companies and said, you know, asked my advice on something. And, you know, I guess at this stage, I still enjoy operating, but it's the thought of being a supportive partner to a management team that I, th I find very gratifying. 
and dealing with the most macro of topics is something that my curiosity has led me to. And so I very much enjoy it and I, I'd love to do more of that going forward. Now, you're, you're a year and a half as CMO of Chime and you're a very experienced CMO, right? This is not your first gig. So I'd like you to talk about why at this point in your career, you just talked about how much you love advising, coaching, why this company, this role at this point, Vineet, in your life? You know, I've talked a few times and I always somehow find myself attached to businesses that are taking on big, social, hairy, systemic problems. Whether it was at Ancestry, where we sort of got people somehow to spit in a tube and Mm -hmm. check where they're from. To me, that wasn't about that. That was about showing society at a time where we really needed it, that we were all much much more similar than we were different. That's what attracted me there. Whether it was at Walgreens Boots, you know, trying to give people peace in a time of tremendous fear, that's what motivated me there. And now at Chime, our mission is to unite everyday people to unlock their financial progress. And you have 70% of America that many of us on the coast forget live paycheck to paycheck who, who are hardworking people. And there's a financial system that is not in their favor. I got this call and I was like, that's a very hard problem not to take on. And I guess maybe I'm a little bit of a glutton for the tough problems, but if there's purpose and there's real societal value, I get behind it. And that's really what brought me here to Chime. How is this role most different from your previous marketing leadership roles? I mean, the purpose is different, of course, but what else about this role? Financial services. I mean, the obvious thing is I haven't worked in financial services before. And so I am fascinated by the learning of a new industry. Again, if you're just curious and learning oriented, I think that drives you a lot. And so I'm learning a ton. I have a lot of, a lot still to learn about this industry. So I, I'd say that's different just doing the CMO thing, but knowing nothing about the industry in which you're working is, that's hard. And I try to embrace that and I'm learning a lot. So that's, that's definitely one thing that's different. I think the second thing that's different on this one is, you know, it's led by a founder mm-hmm. and founder led companies as a CMO are very unique right? In, a, in many ways, the brand is the founder, right? The founding team kind of curated this brand in their mind well before the business had grown big. And I find myself fascinated by this challenge of like taking what I know how to do and put brands out in the world, but having a partner who's a great partner in our founder, Chris Britt and Ryan King. A lot of my job is curating their minds and their thoughts and their founding story into the world in a way that is effective, right? I find that to be very different, right? When you work in large corporations as a CMO, you don't have that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that's something very unique to learn. The third dynamic is that I was actually the first person C-suite member brought in that was sort of not of the founding team. And so... How do you earn that credibility? How do you sort of get your seat at the table? It kind of pushes that muscle in ways that you haven't before. And so, you know, I always say to people with what I found, I really dated him for a long time before I decided to get married to Chime because you got to make sure the vibe is there. You got to make sure that you can finish other sentences. Otherwise, these things don't work. Mm-hmm. 
Thankfully, it's been a great experience so far, but those are three meaningfully different challenges that I've had to learn and navigate. Yeah. How did you do that? You know, you're, you're 18 months in here, but what strategy did you use or what approach did you take to come in and actually get to know everyone, get to know the founders, get to know the team, build your credibility? You're coming in from the outside. You weren't part of the founding group. So what did you do, Vineet, to make it such a successful onboarding 18 months later? You know, what did our parents tell us? You have uh, two ears and one mouth. I did a ton of learning and listening. You know, I took courses on what's the anatomy of a credit card swipe. It is complicated. You don't earn the right to speak if you don't understand the fundamentals of your category. I mean, I just shut up and listened and learned as much as I could about the category. I still have a long way to go. I, I remember our CEO, our founder, was like, I've never seen anyone do this many one-on-ones in like four weeks. Mm. I must have done a hundred one-on-ones in four weeks. And I just was curious about like, what's going on here? How does this place work? As you know, there's formal organizations and there's informal organizations. And many times I think the informal org is what runs places. And so I took a lot of time to figure that out because I wasn't here from the start. Things were already embedded and we're not a giant company that's totally corporatized here, right? So I had to figure that out. And, you know, third, I tried to set a vision that was, or a, a point of view on what we could be. This this purpose that I shared with you is actually something we put into the company just a few months ago. We actually evolved our purpose for when I started. And so a big part of it for me was like turning that into a company rallying cry and getting people to feel involved so that they were part of something bigger. And so it was really getting folks to feel like marketing wasn't an island, but something the brand is everyone's mm -hmm. and trying to pull them into it. So those are a few of like, you know, not everything goes perfectly, but it went pretty well. And those are some of the things that, you know, I, I, at least I focused on as much as possible to, to earn my seat. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Why did you and the team decide you needed to evolve your purpose? I mean, you know this better than almost anyone. You know, a purpose has to be big enough that it gives you room to grow. Like if growth is the main thing and you want to keep the main thing, the main thing, you start with why you exist. And our purpose had served us very well. You know, we're a very successful company. We raised at great values and I have a lot of respect for what the purpose was. And the purpose was a bit more about financial peace of mind versus financial mm -hmm. progress before. And financial peace of mind, like I said, served us very well, but it's sort of an idea of kind of control. And I wanted to get us to a place of progress and ambition. And this all came, this didn't come randomly, right? We did a tremendous amount of consumer research. And one of the things I discovered was the 70% of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck have the same dreams, the same ambitions the same life goals, they just get held back sometimes. And so I said, wouldn't it be nice if we built a brand that honored everyday Americans and their pursuit of progress? And I felt like that was just bigger territory 
and provided more narrative space for us to grow and to expand who we target and reach the goals that we have as a business. Now, when I was doing some homework on your company before our talk today, you know, uh, something from CNBC popped up that you were one of the top 200 fintech companies of 2023. And I saw another list where you're the top 50. So congratulations. But that's still a lot of companies, right? When you're working at P&G and you're on Pampers or Pantene or Tide, you don't have really 200 competitors. So how do you approach that? How do you approach, you know, the essence of a great brand is differentiation, right? In, in the right ways. And so, and this, and we're not even talking about the banks and fin other financial institutions. So it's a really big, enormous and cluttered marketplace. So how do you approach cutting through? How do you approach differentiation? How do you think about that at Chime? And I mean, you know, the way we thought about it at P&G back then, you know, we all had our brand framework and our points of difference and our purpose and our personality. How do you think about differentiation and then ac executing it? Different than like a P&G or a CPG where you can sort of adjust the formula a little, maybe put some sparkles in the shampoo and turn that into a visual reason to believe or something. You know, we're software mm -hmm. and it starts by building a product that truly meets an unmet need. Like you said, this was a very crowded space and it had large incumbents. And so it might help to kind of explain Chime a little bit on, on how we're different, which is essentially the space we occupy, if you were lay out a positioning map, right? The space we occupy is sort of, we're a financial technology company founded on the simple idea that everyday banking and payment services should be helpful, transparent, and fair or free. And so our members live paycheck to paycheck, and we just have to take ourselves out of our coastal kind of elite sort of mindset here. The vast majority of America, even if you're earning 50K, 70K, 80K, you're living paycheck to paycheck in the world that we are today. And so we started to innovate on areas like we were the we started to have no fee banking. So it didn't matter what your minimum balance was, no fees. Then we launched into things like get paid two days early. So if you direct deposit with us and we have that primary relationship, you get your paycheck two days early. That two days early can mean the difference between daughter having a birthday party that weekend with friends or not. We then went into this crazy idea of fee-free overdrafts, right? Everyday Americans sometimes, you know, they swipe their card for a $3 Starbucks and all of a sudden they have a $20 overdraft fee on their card. It's an expensive coffee. Exactly. And so we eliminated fee-free overdrafts. And then our most recent innovation was around, you know, people have a lot of anxiety with credit cards. Credit cards get people in a lot of trouble. We launched something called Credit Builder which is basically a card where you have no risk of going over, no interest chances, but you build your credit. So we essentially created a suite of financial services directly addressing the needs of everyday people. And so essentially we're working on this to fix this fundamental, I'd say, misalignment in an industry between what's good for banks and what's good for everyday people. So our business model is totally consumer aligned. And you know, I've talked about purpose before. I think more and more purpose isn't what you say, it's what you do. Mm -hmm. And those two things have to be 
completely attached. So we don't profit from our members. Our members never pay fees. They don't pay fees for overdraft. They don't pay fees for their credit cards. We only make money when our members use their cards and they swipe it and we take, you know, a little fraction of the interchange fee. And that's how we make their money. And the truth is the big banks aren't capable or able to serve these consumers the way they want because of structural kind of challenges. And we don't think this is going to change anytime, anytime soon. And so I think the core of our differentiation is knowing who we're targeting, knowing that audience which, by the way, is not niche, is 70% of America, yeah. extremely well, finding the gap in that market and innovating on products that the incumbents' structural cost base and the way they make money and their business models actually just won't catch up anytime soon. You know, to give you examples, you know, in 2022, the big banks made around, if you go through all their income statements, made around like $15 billion a year on overdraft and you know not sufficient fund fees and over that same time we actually spotted our members 18 billion dollars in overdraft for free i mean just think about that dichotomy mm-hmm. and so we've kind of created a software built business model we don't have banks we don't have tellers we don't have the cost structure and that allows us to basically serve needs of a huge audience a huge tam with innovative products that you know are very hard for the incumbents to to do that's beautiful, Vineet. I mean, that's a fabulous proposition, right? Of course, the company's been successful, so that's what's driving it. Product's amazing. How do you work the top of the funnel? How do you get more people to know who you are so they'll work their way through and say, hey, I, I want to I work with these people. I like what they stand for. I like the product, I like the offering. I like the differentiation. Because you're still a relatively young brand, right? 12 years old or so. We are. And we made sort of pretty unprecedented gains in awareness this year and more and more people know us. And I would say we're a social first brand builder. If you go onto a lot of our social channels, you'll find that we have like five times the following of these giant banks who have been around for a hundred years. And it's because we speak the language of financial progress in a way that resonates with everyday Americans. So I feel like social media, if you treat it episodically, an attention sort of entertainment platform rather than a sort of conversion only platform, it's a great place to mine for gold nuggets that can then be extended into your broader storytelling. So for example, about six months ago, we did this like innocuous sort of social idea where we had an insight that one of the biggest taboo topics is families talking about money. Mm-hmm. You pull like teenagers and they'll tell you, I'd rather talk to my parents about who I'm dating than like my financial situation. And so we launched this game. I know people can't see it called dollars and cents. And we put it out in the world. We did a sweepstakes. It was like the first hundred people that give us the most awkward conversations they've had about money are going to get this game. We had 180,000 people sign up for this thing. We then took that idea and we're like, wow, like, you know, it's like mining for gold, right? Okay. Well, I think we just found something here. We then took that idea and actually worked with a vendor to turn it into an actual board game. And within three weeks, and you know this from CPG, we took it from a social post to a retail presentation and actually presented it to some retailers and it got on shelves in time for Christmas, right? And so what we try to do is find golden nuggets of insights. We turn those into content 
that entertains mm-hmm. and gets people talking about their financial well-being and and how they progress in their lives. And then we extend that into multiple surfaces and properties to truly bring our brand to life. And so we treat social almost like a, a mining ground for extensible ideas and thoughts. So that's like bucket one. And then the second thing we do, you know, I did this at Ancestry where I banned actors from ads. I was like only customers and ads. Mm-hmm. And so we started putting out these casting calls for who wants to be in some Chime ads. I mean, we got hundreds of thousands of applications. People love us. We are the most loved banking app in America by far because we actually meet people's needs and we try to take advantage of them. It's simple formula, really. And we launched a big campaign of people just talking about Chime and how it changed their lives. And we don't script these. We just let them go. And they turn into 30 and 15 second classic ads on CTV. Uh, I use linear very sparingly these days. And essentially, one of the recent ads we did, a guy just said, uh, Chime saved me $900 a year in fees. And he said on his own, he says, it was like giving myself a raise. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, $1,000 is a lot of money. It's an extra couple of weeks of pay. You can't script that. You can't storyboard that stuff. You, you can't make that up in a writer's room. And so more and more, we're activating our community to speak on our behalf. And I think that's really where brand building is going at the top of the funnel. It's authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's hearing from actual customers. And it's people see through, quote unquote, advertising now, I think. So that's how we think about our top of the funnel. They see through it except on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Which is where we yeah. start. <laughs> Which I'd argue is less advertising and more entertainment. And that's it why is. it still it works, yeah. you know? And activation, right? You do it. It's, it's a great big audience. And if you activate right, you can, you can get a lot of business. I think it's still... It's uh, it's a unique media event. Let's put it that way. Right. And that's where linear works, right? I said I use linear yeah. sparingly. I use it where the linear is the destination. And outside of that, we go direct and we use programmatic CTV to, to target who we want to target. And that's why it's this golden age of marketing. You can We have tools we never did 10 years ago. Vineet, what are you most proud of in your first 18 months at Chime? You know, for me, it all comes down to the team kind of rebuilt a bit of a marketing leadership team here that truly gives me a ton of pride and also a ton of leverage as a leader to focus on the right things. You hire great people and definitely give them, give them the framework and you give them a ton of freedom within that framework. And so I think I'm what, most, what I'm most proud of is the leadership team we've built here, the success that the leadership team has had in our first kind of 18 months. In the end, no leader does it alone. And it, I think it comes down to that for me, for sure. I was interviewed this morning for an upcoming article in the Wall Street Journal about CMOs and how the role is changing and what's going on with CMOs. And I made the point that the one thing that will take a CMO down is not building the right team. And I don't care how brilliant they are, how focused they are, if they don't build the right team fit for the future, they will not succeed. So it needs to be at the top of every CMO's list. Easier said than done. Right. You came into a new company 18 months ago and you have evolved the team into something you're really proud of. Anything that you have learned in doing that, you know, fast, but doing it right and doing it well, doing it with confidence. How do you approach that, Vineet? As I said, like marketing is becoming so specialized. It's a, you know, the CMO's job 
and I know this is cheesy, but it's real, is you're a conductor of an orchestra. And if you think of an orchestra, you have trombones, you have drums, you have violins. This is no longer the team leadership of like leading a whole bunch of smart generalists. You have to like make music out of instruments that sound totally different from each other. And I call this performance storytelling. That's always my rallying cry. That's my way of bringing the whole stack together, the whole modern marketing ecosystem together. And so what I do, well, I'm definitely dangerous. Like I can go up against any direct response marketer or LCM lifecycle marketer or brand marketer. I, I can, I know my stuff, but not as well as the people I hire. And so I really try to hire for folks that are really good at the specialized teams I'm trying to lead them. So for example, my team structure is pretty simple. I have a head of growth marketing who deploys all of my media dollars from the top of the funnel to direct response. And a lot of people like separate those. I keep them together so that, as I talked about earlier, you're looking at the full spend across brand and direct response in the most efficient way possible. And this is a woman who worked with me at Ancestry. She is absolutely brilliant at what she does. And she is, I mean, she goes deep into these platforms and understands every algorithmic change that's happening in Google search, what's happening in Facebook, how TikTok's algorithms work, right? There's no way I would know that, right? Nor should I. I need to know and build enough to ask the right questions, but that's the first job I have in my team. The second job I have in my team is an amazing gentleman who has built brands into culture multiple times. And I mean, this guy's got a pulse on what's happening in the world, you know, from sneakerheads to cultural market. We've always talked about building brands into culture. What's changed now, even this is specialized, right? It used to be about cultural anthropology connected to your insight. And actually, it's now about subcultures. It's about sub-communities. Culture is made up of multiple communities. And I needed to hire someone who was actually a participant in these communities himself, right? Because I certainly am not anymore. I mean, I'm definitely not cool anymore and into culture. Maybe I never was. You're but... still okay, but you're still... <laughs> but culture is like so varied now that I needed someone who lived these subcultures. And so I've got like a cultural brand builder there that I would argue is also specialized these days. It's social first. He understands that our team mm -hmm. and he understands what we want to watch. And I kind of integrated my brand and creative teams into one place so that there was no light between kind of the vision of where you want to take it and the content we want to create. Sometimes you get this brand and creative director diva dynamic, and I just try to break that down and put it all together. The third bucket I have, which is very common in tech, is product marketing. And the reason that's so important, right, is I talked about the, the new media funnel. One of the core parts of the funnel is existing customers. And so not all products within your software business are going to launch with a big bang. Sometimes the launch is just, hey, how do you activate your lifecycle channels, whether that's app notifications, email, nudges, push. He's someone that helps position the products that we want to deploy and then helps activate them out into the world. In CPG, many times the brand manager is kind of the product manager as well in this language. But think of him as the one that like is constantly working with our product teams or R&D, quote unquote to sort of determine the right products to work on, the right sequence to launch them in, how to position them, and then how to go to market with them out in the world. So this is someone who's got like almost product development chops plus marketing chops built into one. Mm -hmm. And then the last role I've got is marketing enablement and operations. 
my technology teams, my analytics teams, the backbone, the spinal core that makes a modern marketing organization run, it is fundamentally changed. And you need someone almost to run that whole tech stack nowadays and make sure it works horizontally in the way you need it to. That's sort of the way I look at organizations. And these are pretty specialist roles. But if I'm the conductor, I don't need another conductor. I need people who know how to play the instruments. And that's sort of how I look at it. Vineet, we're going to move to the creator brief. And my first question is, you started your career at P&G, and you married a woman who you met at P&G. Do you write each other one-page memos? You know, we, we try not to. We <laughs> Sorry for that question. <laughs> we don't. We don't. But I can tell you, like, once you've been trained as a PNG communicator, I, I'd say we definitely <laughs> still kind of communicate like that at work as well, at, at home as well. You get to the point. Yeah, you get to Fast the point. Fast and direct. Yep. Yeah. I asked you in the last show, because I always do, the first brand that you remember making impact on you as a child. And you talked about the Jordan brand and the Nike brand at large. So I'd like to ask you today, what other brand do you remember making an early impact on you? I knew you'd ask this because you asked this to everyone. I asked it with a twist, though. You I did have this to answer time. something different from the Jordan brand. Another brand that had real impact on me growing up, probably shouldn't have because it's not good for me, but did, was Coca-Cola. I think that's mm -hmm. a pretty, probably a common answer. But I, to this day, I think the test of time is, do you remember what they put out in the world? And I, to this day, 40, 30 years later, still remember so much kind of today we would call content that they put out in the world. And for that to stand the test of three, four decades is pretty special. And so I give them the nod because they clearly created something that, that stuck in my mind and evoked feelings that I still remember. So we talked earlier in the show about the things you were doing back during the pandemic times. You were doing a lot of cooking. You love pizza. You're still doing that. You're not doing as much mixology. But you talked about reading last time we spoke. So what are you reading these days that you think might be interesting for our listeners? I will say that in the last four years, the reading has shifted more to podcasting. Oh, there you go. You know, there's a couple of podcasts that I've been listening to. But most recently, even when I was reading, I was a huge fan of autobiographies, mm -hmm. reading people's life stories. And so the podcast that has my attention right now, well, it's called Founders. And it does such a great job of digging into the why behind people's journeys. And I feel like in each one of those, I walk away with inspiration, passion. And I think I vicariously lived through them a little bit. I wish I was a founder as well sometimes. You know, life doesn't always allow you to choose all of your things that you want to do. But mm -hmm. I definitely learn a lot from people's stories and admire the courage of all founders. And I, I get a lot of inspiration from that. We did a show last week with the founders of a company called 80 Acres Farms, and I would just encourage you to listen to it and encourage everyone. It is the most remarkable story of people who have unreal purpose and are solving a huge problem in the world and the power of their conviction in solving that problem. So I agree with you. Founder stories are terrific. That's what makes founders founders. Absolutely. Yeah. You were listening to a lot of music during the pandemic. Most of us were. You were listening to Swedish hip hop. So what are you listening to these days? I'd say these days, it's my son's playlist. He's now 11. You know, I get in the car and the first thing I hear is, Dad, can I DJ? So phone goes to the back, Bluetooth is on. That's good. And thankfully, he's actually kind of into hip hop. So I don't mind his playlist these days. It's not Swedish hip hop, but it's definitely hip hop. And uh, I'd say my son's hip hop playlist is what takes over in the car. So Vineet, who's been the most inspiring person in your life? 
I don't know if it's the most, but if we, if you take it in the context of our this career oriented podcast, I still go back to my grade eleven marketing teacher who took a chance on me, took fifty dollars out of his pocket, said, "Go see what you can do with it," and I just fell in love with this idea of you know finding what people want and figuring out a way to make it appealing. And I think you know I grew up in a blue collar unknown town in Canada, only like non-white kid in my school. And I'm not even sure I would have understood that this was an option for me if it wasn't for him. So I'm forever grateful to him. I've heard you tell that story before. He's, he was XPNG, yeah. right? Who became a teacher. That's an unusual career path as well. So strange. And because of him, I actually chose my university based on, I went to career services and I studied the universities that PNG recruited most out of in Canada. I mean, everything from that point on became wow. about becoming a marketer. And, you know, especially back in the day, PNG was where you went to learn. And that's what I tried to do. And I think you used that $50 to buy lollipops and you sold them in the school hall at a, at a huge yeah. margin. You have a good story. <laughs> By the end of the year, it became a huge profit center for the school. So <laughs> right. it's great. $50 can turn into a lot. All right, Vineet, we should end this wonderful conversation. Anything for me before we sign off? We've known each other for a long time. No, I mean, Jim, just keep, you're, you're an inspiration. I mean, you keep giving back to the community. I know uh, I, I might see you at Cannes. I'll be there this year and you're going to be you running will. annual program there. Yep. Uh, just keep keep inspiring. I mean, keep being a force of good for CMOs. There's just too much press out there that we gotta we gotta change the narrative. It's just not true. And to some degree, we've done it to ourselves. Any force that's a good force and creates mm-hmm. the optimism and the realization that it's a pretty special time to be in marketing is is very important. So we appreciate you for that. I totally agree with you on that. And I, I do have to tell you that in this I was interviewed this morning for this story, and they said, you know, what about tenure in the C-suite? The CMO is the lowest. And I said, actually, they're not. Look at a chart of the tenure in the C-suite, and the CMO is sort of in the middle of the pack. So there's turnover in every function, right? There's change. And a lot of the turnover CMOs is because they, they choose to do something different. That's right. Because we talked about a lot of the high-profile changes that have happened in the last month. These were all people who said, I want to change my lifestyle. I want to go to a company that I'm really driv- I'm really attracted to. So anyway, I think we do need to have a more positive narrative. And this podcast is a great start to that. Let's do it. So, Vinny, thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Vinit Mera. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First one, this was a great lesson in evolving a brand purpose while respecting where the brand has been, bringing in deep knowledge of your customers and bringing a purpose forward that the whole organization believes in and is future forward looking and supports the growth goals of the company. Second takeaway, this was a beautiful, beautiful story about building a brand on social. We talk about that a lot. That's modern brands are built on social. Vineet went deep on that. He told us how they do it, how he has built an organization to do that, and how that's one of their key differentiators versus their competitive set. And the last lesson, the third one is, entering a company from the outside is never easy. Vinit came in, didn't know the category, didn't know the company that well until he was hired. He made it a point to interview everyone. He talked about doing 100 one-on-ones. He talked about listening a lot more than he spoke. And he has had a fantastic 18 months at that company. And that company is on a great growth trend. And he feels very, very, very much part of the team. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. 
And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.